Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hello. It's so nice to have you all here today. Thank you for listening. Um, today, I have a fantastic uh, woman by the name of Amanda Tip Kemper, and she is just a fabulous human being. I met her a while ago um, when she called me asking me for um, support uh, for her friend, and I could not support her friend, so I referred her to somebody who could, and and I'm really grateful that we were able to stay connected. So thank you for being here today, Amanda. Thank you. It's always lovely to meet a kindred spirit. You did help me and you did help my friend just indirectly. So I still am greatly appreciative of that. Well, I'm glad that I could. That was that was really good. That was the goal to, to make sure that they got the help they needed. So thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I am so grateful that you're on the show today because you do some amazing work. But before we start about talking about your work, I would really like to hear a little bit about you. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about your school, your background, your education, I, I think um, our audience would love to hear more about you as well. Sure, absolutely. So I'm I'm based here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, lifelonger. I've been here my whole entire life, born and bred. And my background, so I actually, um, I'm, my current title is Vice President of Education at the Children's Home, um, Vice President and Superintendent. I oversee all of our education programs as well as our transition college and career readiness programs and some summer services that we offer. And um, my background is actually Actually, I started out in architecture. So, oh, wow. <laughs> I was in architecture for three years, um, and it didn't take me long to realize that I didn't want to be in architecture. It just take me, took me three years to get my parents to get on board with that, <laughs> which that happens. Sometimes that happens, yeah. <laughs> right. So then I went into the field of psychology. I got my bachelor's in psychology. That was my first introduction to autism formally. And prior to that, um, my mom's a special educator. My dad's a music instructor, and they've both been lifelong teachers. So I definitely had had exposure, but people didn't talk about it very much. So that was when I first got exposed to the idea and the concept of this diagnosis. Um, And then I went to work for a place called Cincinnati Center for Autism, and um, Um, My mom actually was the one who sent me the article and said, you know, I know you're looking for some part-time work. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and um, I didn't have a lot of experience in autism, but it was one of those things that I started working, and I was good at it. Um, I liked it, and it seemed like the people really appreciated my efforts as well, and it just felt really fulfilling. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, here I am so many years later, but I, I went back to school to get my master's in special education. Because when you have a degree in psychology, it's great because there's so many options. And it's also terrible because there's so many options, right? So exactly, um, getting some direct experience really helped me narrow in. And, and again, like it's been the best decision of my life. Um, 
to get into the field of autism spectrum disorder. So um, I've had a lot of different roles over the years. I started out at a nonprofit in Cincinnati, very small nonprofit, grassroots, um, duct, tape, duct tape and spit like MacGyver, like, you know, creating all the materials <laughs> as we go. And then um, from there, I came to the Children's Home, which is, you know, one of the oldest and largest nonprofits in the Cincinnati area. It's been around since 1864, started out as an orphanage. And here we are, you know, 156, seven, you know, years later, um, still providing amazing services. We've evolved over the years. And about 10 years ago, they decided that they wanted to develop a school for individuals on the autism spectrum. This is a feeder school for a local K through eight. So we focus just on the high school age. And um, in my experience at um, my previous employer, I worked with kids pre-diagnosis all the way through adulthood. Um, all across the spectrum. So students that were, you know, not communicating using language all the way up to kids that we were trying to get them to stop talking so that we could have a conversation. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> the whole entire spectrum. But over the years at Cincinnati Center for Autism, a lot of people wanted to work with what I call the itty bitties the babies, yes, um, but not a lot of people wanted to work with the hairy scaries, um, the kids that are going through puberty and, you know, right. a, a little bit more challenging. So um, I fell into that, that role and then I loved it. I embraced it. And that's what led me to the children's home and running their high school as an associate principal when I first came here. And that role has evolved as the program has grown. So the Height Center of Excellence started out with about 10 kids in 2011. And this year, 10 years later, we have over 100 students. So I think that speaks wow. to the need for our specialized program. Mm-hmm. And well, now it also speaks to how well you do your job. You know, I mean, if you didn't do your job well, you wouldn't have 100 kids. Well, thank you. And I mean, I it's a team. We have an amazing team at the Heights Center, but we, we expanded the service as well all the way to junior high. So we have kids as young as 12, and then we have students that continue their education beyond their senior year and, and are there until their 22nd birthday. So we've got quite a span of kids that we're serving at the Heights Center, and, um, and we're really focused on those transition age kids and helping them transition into adulthood, and even more importantly, helping their families with that transition into adulthood too. It's a scary time. Well, you know what? That's so true. Um, Not only is it a scary time, but you have to work holistically with an entire family. You can't just work with one individual because they all interact. They have to, you know, you have to work with the whole family and sometimes extended family. So I think that's really important. And and you obviously do a very good job with that. How does... um, how does autism and executive function connect? Um, so I, as an executive function coach, I work with autistic kids, but you work with them in a completely different way. So how do you handle executive function and what you do? This was an area that, you know, when I first started working with kids on the autism spectrum, being so across the spectrum, I didn't have the terminology for what I was observing, right? I didn't have that, you know, the executive functioning term. And I mean, that's a whole entire, as you know, it's a whole entire concept, right? That big umbrella. Broad, <laughs> yeah, it's broader than autism, but I've, I found that it to be a commonality um, across the spectrum. So mm-hmm. um, across age and across uh, impact on the autism spectrum, that what you're seeing, you know, you you see that individuals on the autism spectrum have these, these areas of challenge, right? So you, the 
the basic diagnosis, you know, there's some sort of impact to communication, there's some sort of impact to behavior, there's some sort of impact to social skills, and then there's that sensory impact. And executive functioning really crosses all of those areas as well. So a lot of times you'll hear, you know, this kid has a hard time self-regulating. Well, that's executive functioning, right? That's impulse control. Um, You know, I hear that kids are completely disorganized. He keeps losing things and, you know, I have to follow him around and remind him. And that's, I mean, that's a major, that there's organizational skills that are are a major factor in, in that as well. So what's happened over the years is that I feel like, you know, um, what we developed at the Height Center has been a model, and I invite, you know, public schools, private schools, private professionals on a regular basis to come visit to get ideas because we have, in you know, embedded supports to take out a lot of those challenges and also to teach kids um, some tools that they can use across environments. So, for example. Um, every classroom. So we have 12 classrooms at the Height Center um, for all those students. And in every single classroom, we have a student information center. And it's called a student information center. It's on a bulletin board. And it has the common information that you are going to need regardless of where you are in that building, right? So it will go over our daily schedule, our monthly, our weekly schedule, our monthly schedule. It has the school year calendar on it. So for kids who are anxious about what to expect or need to know what's coming up in order to plan ahead, we have all that information there. We also have our PBIS expectations. So, you know, be respectful, be successful, be an ally. Um, Those are listed there as well and what that means. And those those expectations are broken down into even smaller pieces so that individuals understand how to translate it. Be respectful is pretty subjective, right? So we've come up with some sure. objective ideas of how to apply that. And that really helps for kids on the autism spectrum. When you use it broad language, it's very difficult. Can, can you share some of that with us? What's some of the expectations? Yeah. Sure. So when you're in a classroom, you know, the way that you are being respectful is that you're raising your hand before you speak. You're keeping your personal effects in your personal space. You're keeping your hands to yourself and um, you're using an, an, you know, a low voice and we have a scale. So uh, some more of those visuals that you'll see across the, um, the classrooms are we have a five point scale, which is a really common um, tool with individuals in the autism spectrum. And we've actually used it and embedded it with another tool called zones of regulation, which is, again, another color coded scale that helps our students um, use color to identify these kind of abstract concepts such as self-regulation. So, you know, red is when you're over overboard that you're, you know, you're losing it, you've lost control, or you feel like you're completely unregulated. Whereas green is just right. Blue might be that you're way too low or that you're, you know, asleep at your desk. So there's different <laughs> supports that we help our students understand. We really teach to those a lot. And those support, again, those expectations as well. So we also have different yeah. visuals that um, will help with the self-regulation piece. So there's six visuals in every single classroom. One of them is think it. So that's to teach our students that's something that you would say inside and not outside. So I always joke that if you want to know how you look today, come to our school and ask one of our students because they're <laughs> going to tell you exactly how you look today, right? Right. So, 
between that thinking and then on the reverse side of that, we have another visual that says, say it. And so a lot of our kids have a hard time initiating conversations, initiating requests for help. Those are those are visuals that help them differentiate between those two things. We have another visual that's um, TMI, too much information. So that's when a kid is maybe delving into the world of private information and sharing private information in a classroom setting. We have another one that's focused on self. So that used to be mind your own business, but our kids actually advocated and said it felt rude to say mind your own business. So now we say focus on self. Um, our kids are very instrumental in the design and, and how our program has developed over the years. Um, and then the TGO, which is that's getting old, which is when one of our kids is maybe talking a little bit too much in, on an interest area and we're trying to redirect them. So there's, there's visual out of the classroom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like how it's very specific to your school and, and the surroundings. Do you do the same thing for uh, parents to help them create a system at home that yeah. may be more specific to their home environment? That is key. Um, and, you know, every family, I, every family is coming at us with a different ability to apply those, those tools in school. So that's the other piece is making sure it translates. It's, one of the things over the years, I've served as an IEP advocate, so I go into meetings with families and help them advocate for services um, within the school setting. And a lot of times, you know, you hear like, well, you know, these families aren't even doing this in the home setting, so why should we, you know, work so hard to do it? Well, a school setting is a completely different environment than a home setting, right? So is it an only Absolutely. child? Are there multiple siblings? Is it a single mom or is there a supportive, you know, are there multiple people in this household who can support it? Those are all things that should impact how we translate our supports from a school setting into a home setting and really make sure that we're, we're gaining that information before we make recommendations because there's nothing more frustrating for a parent who's already struggling than to get a suggestion that just doesn't even apply to their setting and it, it isn't going to, isn't going to fit. Right. So we or they can't implement it. Right. Well, yeah. one of my mantras when we're doing staff training is you can't teach what you don't know. Right. So we're all special educators or we have special education experience and we chose to do this and we really, you know, chosen to get, get deep and get our credentials and our licensures and whatnot. These families that come to us, they didn't choose to have a kid with autism a lot of times, right? right and they didn't right. get that knowledge booted into their brain when their kid got that diagnosis. Somebody doesn't give them a USB to upload all the information and they, they need to know. So, uh, Yeah, I had a parent who used to ask me, I, I just need the manual. <laughs> right. She used to ask me, do you have a manual? I just need the manual. <laughs> See, that's funny because I tell my daughter on a regular basis when she's frustrated with me, I always say, hey, let me go uh, reference my parenting manual. Chapter 13, I think, tells me exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the case for every kid, right? For every Absolutely. kid, it's trial and error. For every kid, you know, we've got to figure things out that work for those specific kids. But when you have a kid who has special learning needs, it, it can be even more challenging and where a parent relies on us as as the experts and people that have specialized. So we do, um, our families come in on a regular basis. They're welcome to come in and, and check out the visuals, see what can apply to their setting. I know a lot of the families have liked those visuals that we talked about, the think it and the say it and focus on self, too much information, that's getting old. Um, you know, just sometimes having that student information center, you can have the same kind of information center in your house, right? And if you have multiple kids, what a great way to organize their their 
their schedules and help them know what to expect. So there are many opportunities um, for our families to translate what works. We also work on specific, you know, we're trying to shape behavior and shape social skills. So it's important for our families to know what we're prioritizing, especially when you have a kid who has a lot of challenges or a lot of areas that they need to work on. The most important thing is to make sure that everybody gets on the same page. We're not trying to fix everything or address everything or else it's really not going to take effect as quickly as if we focus on one particular skill and really focus in on that. So the parent training um, happens through our parent-teacher conferences. We have an active parent-teacher organization that meets and we provide parent training there as well and provide some information about some of the supports a little deeper dive. We had families a couple years ago, so we survey our families twice a year to get their input on, on how our program is serving them. And families were asking for more information about our curriculum. So we had, a, you know, we've embedded curriculum nights into our um, parent-teacher conferences so families can come and actually explore the curriculum and see what we're using in the classroom settings. Does your curriculum differ from any other school? Well, yes. I, I feel like it differs in a couple of ways. So we do have the typical content. Um, and what I've learned over the years, even with a, a kid that seems, you know, nonverbal and is really hard to engage, especially if a stranger were to try to engage, what I've learned over the years is that there's a lot of kids that want access to that content. They still want to be treated like they're 14 or 15 or 16. They want to be exposed to it. Maybe, you know, it's going to be a little bit different how they process or maybe, um demonstrate comprehension, but that exposure should still be there. And then from there, we have a lot more remedial content. So for students that are, you know, behind in grade level, we have kids that are significantly below in grade level, all the way up to kids that are academically gifted. So that's one way that, you know, in a special education classroom, I don't think families feel like they have that experience. It's hard enough to do that with a typical kid in a regular school, but to be able to have that access to remedial all the way up to um, that advanced curriculum is one thing. And then we have a lot of specialized curriculum when it comes to how we're teaching social skills, how we're teaching executive functioning skills, how we're teaching, you know, these um, relationship skills. A lot of our kids are interested in, you know, the world of dating and, and how that works. So we, I think one of the things that is different, and this is, again, my experience over the years, is that kids with autism, um, they don't, learn things as easily, but as automatically. And when I started working in this field, my daughter was two and a half. And I worked with a lot of kids that were her age when I first started. And she was my barometer. I mean, she helped me gauge what typical development looked like versus, you know, how a kid with an autism diagnosis developed and the things that she learned and picked up and figured out so automatically. It, it was shocking to me to see how easy it was for her to do these things versus these kids that I had to break down skills. I had to teach it over and over. I did practice that philosophy that you saw maybe in the magazine article, practice makes permanent. We have to practice a skill over and over and over for it to stick with a kid who has a, you know, a diagnosis like autism versus a kid who just soaks it up and figures it out, you know, so. Absolutely. And and for anyone who doesn't know what uh, Amanda was talking about, she wrote a wonderful article that I published in our uh, very first issue of Executive Function Magazine. So if you'd like a copy of that, feel free to email me at fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com and I'd be happy to send you a copy. 
And that article really focuses on how families can advocate for their kids to get support Mm -hmm. in the school setting. One of the things that, you know, we tell our families and especially families when they're coming into um, our program for the first time, the Heights Center for the first time, is that there are so many things that we offer in this program that you don't have to ask for. Um, and that you've been begging for, you've been advocating for in a school setting. So, for example, all those executive functioning supports, you know, the fact that we start every single day with a classroom meeting and we prepare each homeroom for what to expect for that day, make sure that they have the things that they need, that they know what the expectation is walking into this school assembly, right? It's not a reactive, you need to be quiet, you need to be quiet, but hey, remember, if you need a break, here are some ways to get a break. Remember, we want to make sure that we're 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 staying quiet and waiting until it's time to ask questions during this assembly. Just that pre-teaching and that prep that families often are asking for is just an intrinsic part of our program and how we approach our students. Absolutely. you know, And I often wonder how much better our students would do in a typical school if we implemented some of these things in just a regular school. I hear so many kids that do not have a lot of issues complain about how they don't get enough breaks or they don't get to, you know, they just don't have their needs met. And and I think it would be a really nice experience for kids. School should be fun. It should be exciting. They should, you know, it shouldn't just be this place where you go and sit in a desk all day. It should be a really exciting place to be. So it sounds like you're really successful in in offering that environment, especially for these children who have some additional needs. Um, What uh, supports are available and how can you secure these supports for um, students if, if they can't come to your school? How can somebody get these supports for their child? Well, there's processes in the world of education. So if you have an individual or a student that, you know, your kid or somebody you're supporting that you're seeing struggle, the first question is, you know, have they ever been evaluated for special education services or special supports, right? And that's the first Mm -hmm. step. The first step is to request an evaluation in every school. I mean, even in the Southwest Ohio area where Cincinnati is, there are so many different ways of going about this, but we have the law. We have the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and we should always reference that. That's a federal law. And then, you know, from there, states interpret it a little bit differently at a state level, and then every school is going to interpret it a little bit differently then. But the, the key is to ask, and I feel like a lot, of, a lot of times families feel insecure about that. And find somebody that you trust in the school or somebody that's familiar and ask them, you know, I, I'm really noticing that so-and-so is struggling or my child is struggling and and who should I contact with my concerns? That's the first question. If you know who to contact with your concerns, and what I recommend is putting it in writing, always put it in writing. And so you have that paper trail and, and ask, you know, how do I go about identifying some additional services for my, for my student? So that's the first step. And then from there, it really just depends on the needs of the kid, right? Some of them um, are going to go through some typical responses that schools would do for any kid. So to your point, like some universal design responses, you know, like here are all the supports we have in place. Maybe we just need to teach Amanda how to access these. Maybe she just is is unsure about how to take a break. You know, we have hall passes, but she's never asked for the hall pass. So maybe we need to teach her how to ask for the hall pass. That doesn't require, you know, documentation and everything. That's just a little bit above and beyond what they would do for the everyday kid. But for other kids, we actually want to make sure that we're documenting these things and it's in a legally binding document that's going to follow them from school year to school year. So, and like I said, or even from school to school, some kids move a lot too. 
Yeah. It is. And, you know, I think, you know, as an IEP advocate, one of the things that, you know, is trying to get families and teams to do is just to do that in a more intentional way. When you have a kid who has these supports in place that are kind of making or breaking their success in the school environment, let's make sure that we're very intentional about how we transition that kid from one classroom teacher to another classroom teacher, from one building to another building. How are we documenting it? Um, and how are we sitting down with the next person who's going to work with them and, and letting them know and maybe putting their mind at ease? Because when you get, you know, when you get a new student and that new student has needs, a lot of times people can be insecure about how they're supposed to support that kid or if they have the tools available. So the more information we can give the next team, the more likely that team is going to experience success in, in supporting that student as well. So it really Absolutely. is the whole team. You know, yeah, it has to be a win-win for the student to win. It really does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How can these supports be used to support day-to-day activities? So, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so many supports that you can use anything from, you know, a written schedule. And that can help a kid just become more independent. And I think that's the focus that we should we should really be focusing on. How can we get this to be an independent skill? Because that's how you're going to get it to transition from place to place, right? If you put right. it on an adult, like make sure you remind him to take a break. Make sure you remind him to check his schedule. Then ultimately, you know, we're always going to need an adult to have those reminders. How can we transition that over to our kids first of all? So that's the first step from there. And I mean, it's for some kids, it's going to be a written schedule. Technology is a beautiful thing. I still need to get better at it. But I mean, I if I didn't have my calendar on my phone, I wouldn't know where I was going, you know, and a lot of us have become more and more dependent on technology to organize us. So I think we can use that with our students as well. And it's important for us to do it because that's a natural thing right now. And it's also the easiest way for it to seem like a natural support. Some of our kids are self-conscious about having adult supports. Some of them are self-conscious about having those additional age, right? Exactly. And some of the most successful people on this planet live by their calendar. Right, Because they've learned that if you write it down, you don't have to keep your brain full with all these appointments and different things you have to do. It's always going to be right there in your calendar. So I I do the same thing with my students. Write it down, put it in your calendar, and then you don't have to think about it. But you have to follow the calendar. So when that little alarm dings, you know, oh, it's homework time. Oh, it's time to walk to the dog or I have to go shower now. You You have to actually do what's in your calendar. But it's, it's a magical thing if you follow it. <laughs> and I think like with technology, that's the easiest way to get it to translate across environments, right? Because a kid's going to take their iPad from school to home. And, and it also helps with the communication and, and seeing the family seeing those supports, knowing that they're working in a school environment, they, they might try them in the home environment, right? So there's a lot of things Absolutely. that can translate. It's just a matter of making sure that your team sits down and talks about what the priorities are, first of all, what are we focusing on? And then how can this translate into the home environment instead of thinking this whole plan is going to go into the home environment, right? Absolutely. And we're going to take a break here in a couple minutes. So before we go into break, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Amanda. And can you please give us your contact information? Should anyone want to contact you with questions or maybe they're interested in your school? Sure. So my name is Amanda Tipkemper from Cincinnati, Ohio. So my area code is 
2800, so 272-2800. And then uh, my email is my first initial last name, a tipkemper at tchsensiwithay.org. That's the Children's Home Sensi Org. And then our website is also tchsensi.org, where people can, can access information about the children's home in general, and then the Heights Center of Excellence, which serves kids with an autism and related diagnosis. Yes, and you can also contact me directly, and I'd be happy to connect you uh, with Amanda or the school. Um, if you are interested in getting a hold of me, you can go to uh, my website, which is executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can subscribe to our magazine. You can request copies of previous uh, magazine issues. You can also listen to the radio show and um, contact me directly with any questions. Um, And don't forget to listen to next week's Parenting Pulse. We are talking about motivation. That is a big issue these days. So um, it should be a fantastic show. Um, And we'll be back after these messages with Amanda Tipkemper. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Bozzi Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Bozzi works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Welcome back. So um, today we are talking to Amanda Tipkemper, and uh, she is a fabulous woman who works with autistic individuals in Cincinnati, Ohio, my mom's home state. So (laughs) welcome back, Amanda. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's fun that we have that that commonality as well. Your mom's living right down the road from me. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's wild. So, um, how let's continue the conversation before break. How can we support? How can these supports be used to support 
day-to-day activities for our students. So um, if you want to go ahead and continue that, I would love to hear more. So I, I believe I mentioned earlier that a lot of the a lot of the supports that our kids need are just pre-teaching and pre-planning, right? For us right. to to help them to know what to expect, and then we can help them in the moment as well. But so with parents and getting things to generalize, it really comes down. So we've talked about you know developing schedules for the home, and again, everybody has different abilities to do this and different desires to do it. You know, some people want things to be regimented, and other people would like them to be a little bit more open. For our kids, you know, maybe involving them and developing that schedule. So when we talk about planning for the weekends or planning for summer, we talk about developing schedules. This is one of the things that's successful during the day, letting them know what to expect, when it's going to happen, what they need in order to be successful for that event so doing that same thing with your with your kid or someone that you support would be great so just pre-teaching including the kids in the planning sometimes if it's an open day actually helping having them identify some of the activities and be a part of setting the schedule is a really empowering thing and a good thing to do especially as a kid gets older and older Um, one of the other things we talked about technology and how that's a great way to to translate some of these things so a schedule can be translated if a kid has a self-monitoring tool so if there's some behavioral issues or impulse issues Issues. Those are tools that should should definitely translate over. We've had kids that wear lanyards, for example, that help us to see because these are kids that might have a hard time expressing how they're feeling, you know, if they're feeling regulated or not. So we used to have a kid that carried um, had a lanyard and it had a red card, a yellow card, and a green card. And green card meant he was good to go and he was ready for interactions. Yellow meant maybe for him he needed a little bit more time to process that he was you know a little bit more stuck in his head. And red meant that he was shut down. And he just wasn't really ready to have that kind of interaction. So that's one way that it could translate a sensory diet. So for kids that need breaks, um, having that sensory diet and having those tools in the home are, are, is a great way. You know, but in, in our school setting, we have some students that have access to sensory diet items. So whether that be like a yoga ball or a crash pad or fidgets, there's so many different tools when it comes to that music, headphones. Um, with that, I mean, those are things that can translate also. And having those sensory diet items available, if you're taking a long car trip, if you are going over to someone's house that they're, you know, for a holiday or for a party and the kid's unfamiliar, again, having those things available could really support them in having a a successful experience and, and a positive experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, What are some of the considerations for parents, uh, staff, and other support people, um, like skill maintenance? We could talk a little bit about, um, you know, the environment, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? We started to touch upon, you know, just that transition piece. So transitioning kids from environment to environment, transitioning them from teacher to teacher. For some kids on the autism spectrum, they do not, again, we, with, Typical kids, we always, this is the observation, you see them automatically translating those skills from person to person. And it, it is so automatic. And a lot of times kids in the autism spectrum do not do that. They might practice those skills in, uh, in isolation. So they do really well with Fazia when they're having a session with her, but she keeps hearing from the parents, it's just not happening at home. It's just not happening in the school environment. We have to be pretty intentional about that. So, so for example, an individualized education plans, that's the document, that legally binding document for special education, a lot of times with certain skills, we will say, please monitor the skill for generalization across instructors, 
stimuli in environments because some of our kids will think this only applies when I'm in this class with this person, but then in this class with this person, it doesn't apply because nobody's taught it to me here or, you know, he has a different style. So this obviously doesn't translate. I don't have to raise my hand in this class, right? And they're getting in, in trouble constantly. So that's one of the things that I've noticed. And it's the same thing for out in the, out in the community. Again, we have, we have trained families, we've trained service providers to have consistent supports and expectations in place again so that individual can experience success and also understand like this is how I generalize this skill to an environment. A classroom is a pretty controlled environment. Home environment isn't always a controlled environment. The community is definitely not a home environment. So it, it doesn't automatically transfer. Those self-regulation skills, organizational skills, we have to teach to that. How do, do, how do I apply this in a naturally, you know, in a naturally occurring setting? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I and I think that it's a very important topic talking about, you know, setting the right support in the right environment. I, I think we could talk probably for hours on just that alone. Mm-hmm. Um, ask you, what are some of your success stories? Like you actually have had the luxury of working with students for many years. You really get to know your students. You really get to understand who they are as people. What are some of your favorite stories that that you can share with us without obviously sharing their names, but or without crying, right? I mean, that's yeah, with, and without crying, yes. It's okay if you cry, just not too hard, so you can still talk, right? Well, there's so many, and you know, I've I really have known some of these kids for my entire professional career, and the families have known me. So when it comes to their success, like. I was saying to you on the break, it, it's personal to me. Like I take it personally. Sure. I want them to be successful. Um, the first kid that graduated from the Heights Center that I had worked with since he was, I think, five years old and was not uh-huh. was not talking, did not have language um, at all and was just an incredibly anxious individual and didn't know what to expect. I mean, he was having a hard time receiving and processing information and also having a hard time expressing him himself. So that's a, that's a pretty anxiety provoking place. That's, that's what oh, I, well, yeah. Yeah. So, and I would see him in the community over the years cause we'd go to summer camp fairs and, you know, we'd go to the autism speaks walk. We'd go to all these events and he would always hide from me. Like he hid from me all the time. He'd run away from me and hide because I'm a little <laughs> bit, I'm a little bit loud. Um, I've got a big personality. <laughs> So um, the first piece of success, I think, is when he came for his intake to come to the high school and he was excited. He was excited to see me and I could see how much progress that kid had made over the years and watching him grow as we, you know, developed over the years, you know, his independence. I mean, this is a kid who, you know, was really, really insecure and dependent on adults to tell him if he was doing something right or if he was, you know, on the right track or where to go and what to do. And watching him become independent over the years, watching him be able to navigate our 50,000 square foot building completely independently um, and seeing his confidence grow in over the years as well. And then um, having him actually come back as a speaker to our, our kids and talk about wow. his out. And this is a kid that didn't talk. You know, this is a kid that when he did start talking, like people did not understand him. And he 
had enough confidence to come back and speak to a group of kids, some that he knew and some that he didn't know about his experience and has really become a self-advocate. And we have, like, there's a couple of other kids. I could go on and on, Fazio, so you're just going to have to, like, wave me down when you want me to stop. Well, let's share a couple more stories and then we'll move on to a different topic. Maybe one more story. How's that? Well, yeah, this kid, you can actually, if you want to see his success story, it's on the Children's Home website and it's on the the Heights for Excellence. So I think it's good to share this one. Okay. Um, This was a kid, again, invisible disability is what we call a kid with Asperger's or, you know, that 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 level of autism these days. So it's invisible because, you know, he's verbal. He's doing well academically. He's, you know, navigating independently. So why isn't he just getting it and being successful? Right. Exactly. This kid came to us as um, when he was in his seventh grade or eighth grade year, he came to us um, and had been kicked out of seven schools and had not experienced success in any of the schools. And he came to us and it wasn't easy by any means. You know, we knew that we had a challenge on our hands because his was self-regulation. I mean, he had a lot of executive functioning issues that he's developed amazing supports for over the years for himself. And um, long story short, he graduated last year. He went to college part-time. He's holding down a 30-hour-a-week job. He's driving himself around. He's... Yeah, I mean, he's experiencing a lot of success. He wasn't kicked out. No matter how he, hard he, how hard he tried that first year, he was not kicked out. And I told him, I told him, I was just like, I, you are not getting kicked out of another school. Like this is not happening, you know, because it was impacting his self worth and his self image in such a terrible way. Like he had decided he was a bad kid. He identified himself as a bad kid, and this kid is not a. I mean, he's. He's not a bad kid. And on a regular basis, we saw that. And I'm so happy that we were able to help him realize what an amazing and um, amazing individual willing and able to contribute to our society and the impact that has on a family as well. Like his family probably didn't know what was going to happen when he became an adult. When they were thinking about him in junior high and all these schools he'd been kicked out of, what does that do to a family? Like, are we going to have yeah. to for this kid for the rest of his life? And just seeing him thrive and become independent, um, that is one of the things that I think our, our specific school was able to do for him was to allow him a reboot from being the bad kid, from being the one with the reputation of being kicked out of all these places. We gave him the opportunity to become a whole new kid, you know, and and have that reset with a group of people that were committed to providing him with the tools that he needed to be successful. And the, the formula there is that over time and perseverance on everybody's part, he took ownership of those tools and he started using them for himself instead of us having to tell him and his mom trying to tell him, you know, and that was a huge. Absolutely. He found a team that wasn't going to give up on him. That's, that's huge. That is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because you did talk about, you know, how he went and got a job and, you know, he's working 30 hours a week. How do you support a student during that process with job coaching, you know, vocational rehab, are there supports in place from your school or any other school that, um, you know, helps students after they've reached adulthood? Yeah, I, 
am delighted that we are uh, provided through, in Ohio, it's called the Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities. In every state, it's called something different, but it's basically BVR, the Bureau of Vocational and Rehabilitation. And that's a federal program and every state gets funding. So every state in the United States has this option. And this is specific to people with disabilities, anything from a physical disability to a mental health diagnosis, to a diagnosis of autism, to kid people that have just I mean, even um, veterans can access these services. So that's that's how we became a provider. And we became a provider because we are graduating our students. And then I, I've shared with you, like I, I've worked with these kids, some of them almost their whole entire lives. I see their families after they graduate. I know how they're doing. Uh-huh. And if they're not doing well, I take it personally. And, and I want to do something to change that. And becoming a provider has helped us bridge the gap from school-age services into adult services, which I think makes us pretty unique in this in this in this field so we're actually able to follow our kids into adulthood and even if they were to get a job and have great success like that student i was telling you about he's having great success but maybe he gets a different manager who doesn't get it who's not providing the supports if he gets fired and he's 25 or 26 years old they can come back and re-enroll in those services as job development and job support services so wow it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to provide to our families, but, you know, we got into the field specifically because we were seeing that our kids, kids on the autism spectrum, were struggling in ways that other people with disabilities weren't. And a lot of that has to do with kids on the autism spectrum have invisible disabilities. They have, you know, you don't look disabled when they hear that on a regular basis, right? That's a fun part. And so we... It was not just because we were preparing these kids and we were giving them all these skills over the years, but it felt like we were preparing them for a closed door. It didn't feel like there were opportunities on the other side of graduation. So we decided it's time to start investing some more time in our businesses and our community partners to make sure they have the skills and the information needed to be able to provide these supports. So now we're trying to put as much effort into those business and community relationships as we are with our kids in developing businesses that are willing to take extra steps to make sure these kids have supports in place. So making sure that they have training or they've got some of these visual supports that we've talked about, um, or they're able and willing to provide those supports in the workplace to some of the students. Um, We've had an internship with U.S. Bank for the last eight years, nine years, um, providing kids who have graduated from high school with this internship. And that was before we had a funding system through OOD, um, Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities. And U.S. Bank, you know, they they were all in. They put these systems and supports in. And we've had over 15 interns now go through their program. And not only did they provide them with this job experience, but they hired seven out of 15 of those interns for either part-time or full-time employment. We have two, four kids that have been um, full-time employees and two that are still full-time employees all these years later. And a lot of it just has to do with that business going above and beyond and providing the support these kids need to be successful in the workplace. How long is the internship programs? How long? Well, I guess you had the one specific with the bank. How long is that one? It was a 10-week program. Um, Every internship that we've offered has been about 10 to 12 weeks. The key, again, and we've talked about relationships, they know that they can call us 
regardless of whether or not an internship is going on. If they have an issue with another employee that we've never worked with, they'll call us. If they have, you know, issues with the current employees and just have questions and concerns, and it's, it's done in a very respectful way, but it's just so nice to have that partnership where a, a business, a huge business like U.S. Bank is willing to pick up the phone and be like, hey, we noticed, you know, this kid came to work in flip-flops and there's, you know, seven inches of snow. What can we do about that? Just like coming from a place of caring and also curiosity, um, that kind of relationship is amazing. But there are formal ways for individuals to advocate for their needs in a workplace um, that, you know, Americans with Disabilities Act really um, helped us solidify that in those processes. It's not as, um, it's not, it's not like school age services. You have to ask. Someone is not going to come and offer these services. You do have to advocate for yourself. But there's plenty of things that can be done really simply um, in the workplace to support an individual who might have issues in executive functioning. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the most important thing is that they advocate for themselves. And I think that's one of the things that I work on with my students. Because if you can't advocate for yourself, then you're always going to need an assistant. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't go through life with an assistant. Well, some people have one, but not everyone can. Well, you can, and mom can't be calling your employer and demanding for these supports and services either. That's the other piece. Like that doesn't work, and and like it can get people in some hot water in some circumstances. So you're right. Like it's so important to teach our kids advocacy and how to do it effectively and respectfully. That's actually embedded into our program. Our school age program again is the a whole entire. The kids get self advocacy classes where we're really practicing and teaching. They're a part of their IEP meetings. They're speaking up. They're talking. About about what goals they want to work on, things like that. So the earlier we can get our kids to be advocates, the more naturally that's going to transition into adulthood as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So we have about probably five, six more minutes left. Is there another topic that you'd like to touch on? Oh, that's that's a big question. Well, I can talk a little bit more about you know the voc the voc rehab and the experience there. So, um, okay. just talking about the business relationships and how you can foster those relationships and how you can make sure that individuals are successful. I mean, we provide training, so providing training up front when it's not specific to a kid, not specific to a particular individual, but broad. If you can find opportunities to do that for an individual, for a parent who wants to see their kid get employed, like really starting to work on those self-advocacy skills and more importantly, respecting those self-advocacy skills. I think we get into such a a mind space of compliance when a kid is younger and making sure they're following instructions and doing as they're told and whatnot. And we really need to shift to understanding consequences instead. So like, yes, you can totally blow up and throw your water bottle. That is a choice. You're right, because you've seen other people do it. This is what happens when you make that choice, right? So shifting our mindset from one of like, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that to, you're right. You see people do this all the time. I think one of the things as working as an advocate in the autism community, I've gotten to work with a lot of self-advocates. And the thing that's frustrating a lot of times is that, you know, they're held to an expectation that's higher than what we hold typical people to. So we've seen typical people, typical people have, that's my quote unquote, have meltdowns. We've seen typical people make, you know, unsafe or unsavory social choices. And so have people on the autism spectrum. So when we tell them they're not allowed to do it or we penalize them at a higher at a higher level because they've made a mistake or a misstep, it's very frustrating. So the 
making sure that we're talking in the language of consequences and what can happen after that behavior instead of saying it's an all or none and they can or cannot do something is really going to be helpful and also help us to shape those individuals as self-advocates as well. So the earlier you can get, you can get your kids involved in their, their education decisions on their IEPs, doesn't mean they're going to get their way. It doesn't mean, you know, they're going to advocate for something and it's going to happen, but just allowing them the opportunity to share their voice so that when they become an adult, they don't feel powerless. They don't feel like they, you know, don't have the, the ability to make those decisions because they've always had a team of people telling them what to do and when to do it. Exactly. I think that's what it's all about is just having that power to, you know, stand up for yourself and speak up and say that, you know, this is what I want. You're right. You may not get it, but at least you have the guts to say, this is what I want. You know, I want a raise and your boss says, no, you're not ready for a raise. Okay. When can I ask again? You know, just, you know, just being able to have that conversation is really important so, yeah, I, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing your wonderful knowledge. I would love to have you come on uh, another time and talk specifically about another topic, maybe folk rehab again, because I know yeah. that's a topic you can talk about for hours and hours. Oh, um, 90% of kids on the, like adults with autism being unemployed, it's something that we definitely do need to talk about. And that's a startling. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I would love to change that outcome. I would too. I, I would too, considering that, you know, the number of autistic or the number of individuals diagnosed with autism has increased so much over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people that are going to be unemployed. So I agree with you. I think it's important that we put supports in place to help them get what they need. Um, how can people get in touch with you one more time, please? Sure. So my name is Amanda Tipkemper. I'm the vice president of education at the Children's Home. And the Children's Home also has a school for kids on the autism spectrum called the Height Center of Excellence. You can reach us through the website that has all of our services, www.t as in Tom, C as in cat, H as in hat, Cincy, which is C-I-N-C-Y dot org. You can email me, first initial, last name, A Tipkemper at T-C-H Cincy. Org, or you can give us a call. We have a centralized intake. They know how to find me. 513-272-2800. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today, Amanda. Um, make sure you uh, join us next week on Parenting Pulse. We're going to be talking about motivation, uh, how to motivate your student, whether you're a teacher or a parent, um, just different ways you can encourage uh, motivation, help help your student become the best version of themselves. Uh, motivation has been a real issue lately, so I think that'll be an absolutely wonderful show. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to go to my website. That is executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can subscribe to uh, executive function magazine there. You can also send me an email directly um, on anything, uh, whether it be getting in touch with a former uh, guest, or if you have a specific topic about um, a future show or whatever it is you'd like to do, feel free to email me. I offer free consultations. So if you have questions, feel free to do that as well. And um, yeah, so I really appreciate you being here. Is there any last words you'd like to share with us before we part ways? 
I just want to thank you for the work that you do, Fazia. It's so important. You're a great resource. And just the fact that you're willing to reach out and help me, and even though you couldn't provide it directly, um, it just tells me a lot about you and your character. So I appreciate the opportunities you provided to me. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, my goal is to genuinely help other people, which is why I also have the magazine and the radio show, because um, I'm hoping the radio show and the magazine, because they're both international, they'll reach people that maybe cannot access certain professional people that yeah. they need, or maybe they can't afford it. Either way, my goal is to help uh, support them. And and so because of that, I, I thank you because you are the one offering them that information. So yeah, I'm grateful to the people that come on the show. So thank you thank so you. much. Yeah. And uh, thank you for all the listeners. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. So have a wonderful week and um, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week. <laughs>